turn your Bible this morning to the fifth book or the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter five. We continue to work through the Beatitudes. We come to verse eight this morning. Matthew chapter five, verse eight is our text. We continue to read the Beatitudes as a whole this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The significance, the the magnitude of verse 8 is really hard to understate if we really think about what we find there. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. It goes and begins in the the depths of who we are, pierces to the core of our being, our heart. But then it extends to the highest aspiration of mankind. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The aspiration, the desire, the longing to see God. So this morning we're going to start where Jesus began. We're going to start with the heart. And I want to give you three foundational understandings or three foundational truths about the heart that we see from Scripture. The first is this, is that the heart is the center of who man is, is the center of who man is. You know, musicians have historically been enamored with the human heart. You can do a brief search and ha- find all sorts of music and songs that talk about the heart. The Marcells told us of heartaches. Connie Francis appealed, don't break the heart that loves you. Bonnie Tyler had a total eclipse of her heart. Frank Sinatra was young at heart. Rush was closer to the heart. Rod Stewart said that you're in my heart. The Backstreet Boys, God bless their hearts, uh, (laughs) told us to quit playing games with my heart and then promised I'll never break your heart. Celine Dion declared, my heart will go on. And we can never forget poor old Billy Ray Cyrus and his lament over his achy, breaky heart. (laughs) However, the heart that these musicians sang of is not the same heart that the Scripture speaks of. We we refer to the heart in a a lot of different ways, and we we laugh about it, but even in our daily talk, the heart has a variety of meaning. We say he has a good heart, talking about an individual's good intentions, or we say, man, that team has a lot of heart. They have a lot of drive. They have a lot of will to win. Or you might hear and lament over, she broke my heart, talking about the emotional hurt that we experience. But again, this is not the heart of Scripture. When, When Scripture talks about the heart, it's referring to the center of our being. It's who we are. It, it includes our intellect, it includes our will, it includes our emotions. It's what makes us tick. It's where our affections lie. It's what drives our life. The heart is the center of who man is. 
The second thing we need to understand is that the heart is man's primary or root problem. It's, it's, our, it's our main problem. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? it that's the, the root. That's the core of our problem. J.M. Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce said this. He said it kind of ties the two first points together. He says a reference to the heart of man is therefore a reference to the center of a man's personality. And it is this that is the source of man's problem. So the heart is the, the center of who a man is, but it's also the source of man's problem because the heart is at root sinful. And because it is at root sinful, the fruit that it produces is sinful pr- fruit. You look at Matthew fifteen nineteen. we read, For out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Jesus teaches again in Matthew 12, 34 to 35. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For what? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. The heart, as the center of who man is, is sinful at root. And it is out of the abundance of the heart that comes either what is good and holy and righteous or what is sinful. The sinful root of the heart produces sinful fruit. And it's because of this that our third foundational truth is true and of utmost importance. That the heart of man is of utmost importance to God. The heart of man is of utmost importance to God. Which, you know, you hear, you, you might hear, you think of religions, and you think about what are religions focused on. And some have made a distinction between Christianity and other religions in that some religions are those of the head or, or the intellect. Religions such as, such as Buddhism or atheism that are focused on, on ideas and philosophies and thinking, right thinking. So religions based on the head, or you have religions that are based on the hands. What we do, our deeds, religions that are deeds-based, based on works. You think about Mormonism or Islam or many areas of Bible Belt Christianity that's focused on earning your salvation or doing things to prove your worth to God. Christianity, distinguished from these, is focused on the heart. God's primary concern is our heart. It's not just about what we do or what we say, what we look like, what we know, what we think. He's focused on our heart. I want you just to turn. You can, you can turn there. You can just think back on, on what uh, Derek read for our hearing of the word this morning. But Psalm 24, which is really foundational for this statement from Jesus, in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6, he asks a question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And it says, who shall stand in his holy place? So who can be in the presence of God? And in verse 4, David answers that question. He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. So it is the one who has a pure heart and clean hands who can be in the presence of the Lord. And do you know what he says? Look what he, what he says, that this one, in verse 5, this one will receive a blessing from the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Blessed are the pure in heart. 
he will receive, Psalm 24, 5, he will receive a blessing from the Lord. We see it here. We see a beautiful promise in both Matthew 24 and, or uh, sorry, Psalm 24 and Matthew 5, 8, that God blesses those who are pure in heart. The pure in heart are blessed. It is not the one who just does good or does religious things or just knows religious things or knows religious facts that's blessed. It's the one who is pure in heart. We have to see that this morning. God is always focused on the heart. He's always focused on the heart. Going to church, doing Christian things, liking good sermons, getting emotional, hearing a missionary story, going to camp or mission trip, having a theological education, or feeling emotional over a song that you sing, those things do not mean anything if your heart has not been made pure by the blood of Christ. It's just religious deeds. It's just stuff you're doing. God is focused on the heart. Yes, an intellectual understanding of the gospel, the content of the gospel, what the gospel is, the truth of Scripture, is important. It's important. But we must not only have an intellectual understanding of the gospel. We can't only have that. We must instead have a regenerate heart, a heart that God has made new, that he's brought new life to. That is of utmost importance. Our heart needs to be made new by God. Yes, we are called to live, to walk, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. But we must not just stop there and just live out Christian conduct. Instead, our conduct must come out of a pure heart. It must flow out of a heart that has been purified by God and His mercy. So what does it mean then? What does pure in heart mean when we look at Matthew 5.8? What does that mean? Pure, pure means, and I think you've probably heard this before, pure simply means to be without contamination. It's without contamination. It described metals that were not diluted with impurities. They, they were pure, they were clean, they were unmixed, they were unadulterated. So it refers to this ethical cleanliness, but it also refers to this unmixed makeup. That you don't have, some, if something is a pure metal, you don't have this metal with a bunch of other stuff in it. It's very pure. It's been refined. It's gold that's been refined by fire. It is pure gold. It's not gold with a little bit of all these other different um, uh, materials and matters and minerals in there. It's pure. It's undefiled. It's unmixed. So it's ethical cleanliness. It's purity. It's also unmixed in makeup. So when he says pure in heart, it's just like when he said, do you remember uh, when we started the Beatitudes, we talked about poor in spirit we talked about he doesn't just say blessed are the poor right he distinguishes the sphere the context of what he's talking about the poverty he's speaking of is poor in spirit here the same thing he's blessed are the pure where the pure in heart is the sphere the context of purity that he is speaking of he's speaking of purity of the heart which means then to be pure undivided and single-minded in our devotion to god we are pure and undivided, single-minded in our devotion to God. Now, if we're still, I hope you kept your finger. I don't know if you kept your finger in Psalm 24 or not, but if you didn't, you can flip back there. When we think about this purity and this single-minded focus on the Lord, this undivided worship to God, we think about Psalm 24 again. He asks, who could ascend the hill of the Lord? Who could stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who what? Who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. 
He does not lift his soul to what is false. He is not running after idolatrous things. He is not giving his heart over to another God, another idea. He is focused and undivided in God. He is lifting up the truth of God's word, and he is worshiping God alone. That is the one who can ascend the hill of the Lord. He who is pure in heart, he is single-minded in his devotion to God. Another passage that's important, we think about this, it is found in James chapter 4. James 4, verses 4 through 8. I just want to read that to you, and you can listen along, or you can flip there. James 4, 4 through 8. James says, you adulterous people. James was a very kind guy. He didn't ever want to make people upset, right? You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he is made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You, you see, what James is, is driving home the same truth. The, the problem is what? Is that, that the people were divided in their hearts, their passions were divided between God and the world. He says, you, you're adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't have it both ways where I just love the world and the things of the world, but also I want to come and worship God on Sundays. There's a divided heart there. And when he gets down into verse 8, his appeal, his exhortation is what? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the people are double-minded. They're, they're seeking after the Lord, but they're also seeking after the things of the world. And James says, no, purify your hearts, your heart should be single-minded in devotion to the Lord. To the Lord. So to be pure in heart is to love God fully, is to love God with all of our heart. You rem- remember that phrase anywhere? Right? Deuteronomy 6-7, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. In both places, we're called to do what? Love the Lord your God with half your heart. With 51% of your heart. Most of it. If you just love him with most of your heart, you'll be okay, and then you can work some other stuff in. No. No. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. It is a wholehearted devotion to him. So to be pure in heart means we do not pursue sin, but we resist sinful temptations and pursue godly living. We put sin to death. It, it means that we don't pursue other gods and ideologies. We have a singular pursuit of the Lord, and we worship him alone as his people. We are pure in heart. We're concerned with living for him. We have a, a longing to walk as he walked. And we're not concerned just to live in the walk so that people see us as religious. We're not just concerned with outward appearance but we're concerned with that purity being in the heart. 
That's going to be a theme of Jesus throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to continually come back to the heart. We're going to get into that in a few weeks where he is continually bringing us to look at the heart. It's not just about what you do. It's not just the the deeds or the laws you follow, but it's the heart of those things. So there's two important questions we have to ask then. If this is a significant statement, we say that blessed are the pure in heart. If if we understand purity of heart to be what we just explained and just talked about, there's two important questions. The first one is, is what is the origin? What is the origin of the believer's purity of heart? What's the origin? You, you who sit in here, we gather, we, we say we're believers, we understand that the Sermon on the Mount is not uh, steps to get to God to earn salvation, to earn his merit, to become a Christian, but it's a description of Jesus sitting down with his disciples and saying, this is what the lifestyle, this is what the characteristics of my people are. This is what it looks like to be a believer. A believer, a follower of Christ is blessed and, I mean, sorry, is pure in heart. But what's the origin? If that's the case, if the heart is the center of man and is desperately wicked, that's the root of our problem, then what is the origin of having a pure heart? I think, Proverbs, Solomon asked a really weighty question in Proverbs 29, 20 verse 9, not chapter 29, but 20 verse 9. He says this, he says, who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say it? Solomon looks out and says, who can say that? Anybody in here today, is there anybody in here to say, I made my heart pure? The answer is No. Scripture is very clear. No, we don't make, we can't do it. I can't make my own heart pure. And you can't either. We just can't do it. Charles Bridges, he, he stated this. He said, a sinner in his self-delusion may conceive himself to be a saint. But that a saint should ever de- believe that he made himself so is impossible. A true believer, someone who's been saved knows that you know, I didn't make myself this way. I couldn't do it. I understood why. I, I, I understood what I'm poor in spirit. I'm poor in spirit where we began. The foundation that we come and we come before God and we see him in all his splendor. And we see him in all his holiness and, and all his wonder how majestic he is, how righteous he is. And we come before him and we say, I am poor. I am poor in spirit. I am in need of a savior. I am impoverished of spirit. I need Christ. I can't do it on my own. I can't change my own heart. Just as a leopard cannot change his own spots. We learned that in Jeremiah 13, 23. A leopard cannot change his own spots. Man cannot change his own heart. Scripture teaches us that God changes our heart. Here, here, here Ezekiel, uh, chapter 36, verse 22 to 27. Just write that down in your notes. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 27. Listen to what happens here. Therefore, say to the house of Israel... Thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. And though you and through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, how is he going to do this, do you think? How do you think God is going to vindicate his holy name? How is he going to bring about this change? He says, 
I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give er, from yeah, from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my Rules. God's cleansing and vindication begins in the heart. He alone changes heart, and your heart is what drives your life, so it is the, the change of the heart that brings about purity of life. Hebrews 8.10, we read, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on what? On their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Listen, this is the, the beauty of what the scriptures call regeneration. To understand, we, we are made new. That our dead hearts are brought to life through Christ. That in Colossians 2.13, it's described as God bringing new life to our dead heart. In John 3.3, 3, it's described as us being born again. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's described as us becoming a new creation in Christ. We have been given life in Him. That is where purity of heart originates. It does not originate in you trying harder, doing more, being better, knowing more, cleaning up your act, or attending church more. That is not where purity of heart comes from. Purity of heart originates in the heart-changing life, giving righteousness, imputing work of God through His grace by Christ's work on the cross when you place your faith in Him. That's where purity of heart comes from. If you're here this morning and you are striving and doing and trying and seeking to know more, be better, do more, try harder, cleaning up your act and getting things together so you can go to church and maybe become a Christian, you're missing it. You're missing it. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone, by His grace alone. The gospel message is that you would turn from your sinfulness that you would come and you would know that I am poor in spirit. My heart is desperately wicked. I cannot change my heart. I am a sinner in need of God's grace. As Pastor Mike prayed earlier, we know that God is a holy God and He punishes sin. And He is going to pour out His wrath on all who are sinful, all who are living in sin outside of Christ. Romans describes those who are outside of Christ as storing up wrath for, them da- for themselves daily. And so the gospel message is that you recognize that and you turn from your sin. And you turn to Christ in faith, trusting Christ alone for salvation. And praise God, He purifies your heart. Jesus is the origin of our purity of heart. The second question I would ask then about being pure of heart is this, is what is the evidence of the believer's purity of heart? What is the evidence of the believer's purity of heart? We, we see in, in Scripture that purity of heart and godliness of life have a direct correlation. Do you remember Psalm 24? You don't have to flip there this time, but Psalm 24, verse 4, when he answers the question, he says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who, who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22, we meditated on this. We read it before the sermon. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. First Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from what? Guess it, from what? 
a pure heart. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You remember last week I, I shared with you that here in the Beatitudes, they kind of shift gears. The, the first three Beatitudes are focused on our attitude or our state, our standing before the Lord and how we approach the Lord. We are poor in spirit. We mourn over our sins. We're meek before Him. This then results in verse 6 of chapter 5 that because of that we hunger and we thirst for the righteousness that is ours in Christ. And then verse 7, 8, and 9 of chapter 5, these next three Beatitudes are focused on how we act, our how we carry ourselves with those around us. We are merciful, we're pure in heart, we're peacemakers. How does pure in heart, how does purity of heart usher forth in life? It ushers forth in life because the pure in heart will be devoted to God and will pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. She will love her brother earnestly who is pure in heart. He will have a sincere love for others. That's what we read in Scripture. That those who are pure in heart, the pure in heart ushers forth in those things. It ushers forth in living in love, in living peacefully, in showing brotherly love, in having a love for one another that is earnest, in showing sincere concern and a good conscience to those around us. Pure in heart drives all of that. Purity of heart is evidenced in your life as a believer. Again, it should cause us to ask a question. If I'm claiming Christ, would I say that I'm pure in heart? Is that something that I see? I'm not saying am I perfect. We all know we're not perfect. But the question is, is there purity of heart? Has God made my heart new? Has God cleansed my heart? Am I truly a believer? If you would say, no, that does not characterize me, then you do not need to try harder, do more, be better, or no more. You need to turn your life to Christ. You need to look to Him. And so that leads us to the next question, next question we need to ask today is how do we cultivate and maintain purity of heart? How do we cultivate, how do we maintain purity of heart? Why, you know, we talk about God being the, the origin or the genesis of our purity of heart. He is the one who who gives us a pure heart. Initially, we do read in Scripture that we are tasked with maintaining, guarding our purity of heart. In Proverbs 4.23, we read, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We read earlier from James 4.8, where James' call is to do what? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Let me just rattle off a few ways real quick. How do we do it? Here's the first one. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. That is the answer. It is not, the, the answer is not try harder. The answer is look to Christ. He is the one who powerfully works in you. You remember Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where Paul says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Look to Christ. The second way is we need to value what God values. We need to value what God values. Psalm 73, 1 to 3. Psalm 73 is such an instructive text. It's such a, it, it is such a good, I think it kind of brings us back to where we need to be because Asaph is very honest with his struggle. You know what he says when he begins writing there in Psalm 73, verse 1? He says, truly, God is good to Israel. 
to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph knows. He, he declares a truth in verse 1 that God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's the truth. But he says, I almost stumbled, I almost slipped, I almost fell because I got caught up looking at what everybody else had. I, I got started in, in this idea of valuing what other people value and wanting the things of the world. I wanted the prosperity and I wanted the ease and I wanted the comfort. I wanted the success and the acclaim. I wanted everybody to think that I was the greatest. I wanted all the followers. I wanted all the retweets. I wanted all the reposts. I wanted all of it. I wanted to be an influencer. I got caught up in all that. And I just wanted that stuff. But then I came back to the sanctuary of God, he says in verse 17. And I saw their end. And he was reminded. And God does a work in his life and he comes back and he realizes and he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. There it is, right? Purity of heart, that single-minded devotion that God brings Asaph back to. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He comes back to valuing what God values. We'll see in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So value what God values. Third, allow God's word to do what only God's word can do. If you want to cultivate and maintain purity of heart, then allow God's word to do only what God's word can do. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word will do surgery on your heart. And so be in the word. Sit under the word. Allow God's word to do what God's word does, which is tied to the next one. Memorize God's word. Number four, memorize God's word. Psalm 119 11. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I can impress others? So that I can get a pen, my label? No, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. God's word guards from sin. It protects us from sin. It leads us away from sin. When we have the temptations of the world and we're tempted to go after it, God's word steers us back over to pursuing him, maintaining purity of heart. Number five, meditate and think upon the things of God. Grow your affections for God. Meditate, think upon the things that he said are good. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable. If there is any excellence if anything is worthy of praise think about these things paul said think about them dwell on them meditate on them grow your affections for god don't sit there always thinking about work or always thinking about what you want or always thinking about success or always thinking about people thinking about you guess what people don't walk around all day thinking about you they don't do the same about me either i hope not if so you need to stop think about the lord Set your mind and focus on Him. Think upon Him. Let God grow your affections for Him. Number six, when you sin, ask God in repentance to give you a clean or a pure heart. When you sin, ask God in repentance to give you a clean or pure heart. Psalm 51.10, where David repents. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Listen, the reality is that some sit today so entangled in sin, 
so entangled in the image that you are seeking to create on social media, so entangled in the image that you're seeking to maintain before other people, whatever group you're trying to impress, so entangled by the images and videos that you click in or click on to appease your sinful appetite and desires. You're so entangled in those sins on things you're seeing on the computer that purity of heart is not a reality in your life. You're walking around with a divided heart. You're saying, I worship God, but yet you're worshiping these images or that image or whatever you're trying to forecast to other people. And if that's where you are, whether it's one of those or whether it's another sin in your life that you know is wreaking havoc and has control of your heart, then you need to repent before God and ask Him to cleanse your heart. Ask Him to cleanse your heart. God is in the heart-changing business. Now, finally, where do we end? With all these Beatitudes, (laughs) we end with the promise. This incredible promise. We, We dug down to the depths of our hearts. But he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they shall see God. They shall see God. The theologian Leon Morris, he, he pointed out that the pure in heart already see God you know, in a way that the impure never know. That the, the believers see God in a way that the unbelievers never know. It's, it's why I think that the, the song, Behold Our God, we sing that song often here. Behold Our God. I think that song is so moving and stirring because it reminds you to think about who God is. It reminds you and gives you a small glimpse of this God who is sovereign and reigns over all things, who, who we can't fathom to come before him and go, God, you don't know what you're doing. God, you, I, let me give you some counsel. And we sing that, and it reminds us of the great adoration and praise we have when we look at God in sheer amazement, thinking about his splendor, his holiness, his might, his majesty, the fact that he would redeem sinners like us. And we behold, we get glimpses of him. We see the wonder of God. We see the beauty of the cross. We have glimpses of the love of the Savior. We behold Him. We see Him anew already. That's why why I think sometimes if you ever kind of shake your head and you're you're like, I don't understand. Like My my friends don't understand. It doesn't make sense to them why we would come and worship. It doesn't make sense. People ask me, why in the world would you spend your Sunday morning there instead of on the lake or, or in the woods hunting or whatever? Well, it's because I've gotten a glimpse. I've been able to see just a, a glimpse of the glory and the might and the splendor and the grace of God. And I want to be there because I love him because he loves me. I want to be there. I've gotten glimpses of him. I've gotten glimpses of his glory. However, listen to this. This is, this is where I think it gets good. This is what should get us excited as God's people this morning is that we hear things like 1 Corinthians 13. We get glimpses of God. We see him already. There's, a, there's an element that we do see the Lord already. But then Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 to 12. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now listen to this. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully 
known. We get glimpses of God's glory now. We get glimpses of his majesty. We see glimpses of his grace. We see it, but we see it dimly as through a, a, a mirror. But we're going to see God face to face, oh people of God. We are going to be blessed. We're pure in heart. Why? Because we shall see God. See, the real weight of, of Matthew 5, 8 is eschatological in nature. It is something that sends us looking onward to the end times. It sends us and projects us forward to look at the very end. That's the real weight. That's the real beauty of it. Now, maybe you sit and go, is that really a big deal, though? I mean, you're saying this should make us excited. This should fire us up. Yes, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Let me, let me prove it to you really quick, really quick. Exodus 33, verse 17. Moses prays. Do you remember what he prays in Exodus 33? He says, uh, this very thing that I've spoken, I will do. This is what the Lord says, sorry. Uh, the Lord says, this very thing I've spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So here's Moses' request. Moses says, oh, things are going well. Let me just slide this one in there and ask. Um, Please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, but, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. <laughs> but, but wait, 1 Corinthians 13 said we're going to see face to face. And, and here God says, you can't see my face and live. You will not live if you see my face. In John 1.18 we read, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Talking about Christ. John 5.37, the Father who sent me, Jesus says, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard for, or his form you have never seen. In John 6, 46, not anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Again, talking about Christ. In 1 Timothy 6, 16, who alone, talking about God, alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be glory and honor and dominion. We are taught in Scripture throughout here, here, these verses and elsewhere, that you do not see God face to face and live. But then we read 1 Corinthians 13. Then we read 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, praise the Lord. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus puts hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Revelation 22.4, we look down the road to the end of the testimony of Scripture and we read this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Or, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will what? His servants will worship Him. They will worship Him. And you know what? They will see His face. <laughs> they will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. The great promise of Scripture is that the pure in heart will see God. We who today stand amazed at this dim sight, we stand amazed. We worship Him. We sing of how holy He is. 
we are moved by songs and glimpses of his glory, we will stand in awe and amazement at the fullness of his splendor and the glory of heaven. We will one day stand before him. So today, are you tempted to look in vain to the prosperity of the ungodly? If you're tempted now to do that, then remember that the pure in heart will see God. If you're tempted and discouraged, or or tempted to be discouraged, I should say, by the gloom and doom in the daily news, you flip through the news and you're just discouraged and you're downhearted, it's just, man, this is awful. Remember, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If, If you're tempted to give yourself over to the idolatry of work, of success, of materialism, of the temporary pleasures of this world, Remember, blessed are the heart, the, those who are pure of heart. Why? Because they shall see God. They shall see God. Psalm 73, 1, don't forget that. God is good to his people, to those who are pure in heart. Who are his people? Those who are pure in heart. God makes us pure in heart. He reminds us of the same thing in Matthew 5, 8 that we studied today. We're reminded of the same thing in Psalm 24. Who can come into the presence of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That purity originates in Christ and his work on the cross. It ushers forth into living a life fully devoted to him for his glory. Let's pray.